Okay, team, exciting news. Your buddy Matt here has finally realized a lifelong dream of becoming a professional athlete at the tender age of 47. Uh, we have a new partner, Vessel Surfboards and Paddleboards, and they are sponsoring me as I begin a quest to paddleboard from here to Catalina and back next year during the Catalina race. I believe it's about 30 miles, but I got to check, you know, 30 miles, 40 miles, all the same. I'm going to get it done. And uh, that makes me a professional athlete getting paid to do a sport. So by technicality, I'm a professional athlete and I'm very excited about that. Vessel Surfboards and paddle boards are excellent. I've used a few different paddle boards, and this one is by far the best. My kids use their surfboards. They're excellent. So support our sponsor. Go out and try them. That's Vessel, V-E-S-L. All right, guys. Okay, team, welcome to The Dad Presents. I'm so glad to have you here with me. Um, all right, so we got an awesome guest coming up in just a minute, Matt Finn. He's a reporter at Fox News, and he just so happens to be from my hometown in Berwick, Pennsylvania. Berwick Bulldogs. Go baby. Um, but before we get into that, first I wanted to do one parenting question, as we do here, because we're a parenting show, and this is The Dad Presents. We got Joel from Tallahassee, and Joel writes in, and he says, I smoke marijuana and my kid's starting to ask questions. He's 10 and I'm not sure how to handle it. So this, we've we've not had this exact question before, but this kind of goes along with one of my main themes of parenting and anybody who tunes into this show, I'm sure you can predict how I'm going to answer this, but I'll just go ahead anyway. Um, Honesty, man. Look, the most important thing in a parent-child relationship is trust. I firmly believe that they got to trust you. If they don't trust you, you lose them. They got to trust you. So if you're telling lies and you get caught in those lies, you're going to lose their trust. Now, of course, the most important thing you can do for your kid is provide love, provide stability, provide shelter. But the most important thing for your relationship, it's trust. So you got to tell that kid the truth. I I answer all of my kids' questions honestly and truthfully in a way in which his young brain can handle. So when he was four years old and he asked me where babies came from, I explained, you know, daddy puts his pee-pee in mommy's vagina and baby seeds come out. And they mate with mommy's baby seeds and they make a baby. You know, you dumb it down, but, but you tell the truth. You don't make up some bullshit about a stork. So look, do you like to smoke pot? Um... I imagine you do. You said you do. So you got to be truthful. You can't try and hide it because then how are you going to tell that kid when he's when he's 16 and he's going to high school parties, hey, son, you can't drink when he knows you're smoking and lying to him about it. So so talk to him, tell him the truth and tell him the whole truth. Yes, son, I smoke marijuana. It helps me to relax after a long day. It helps give me some new perspective and it helps me feel empathetic towards you and your mother. Um, it helps me feel creative. There's a lot of good things about it, but son, I'm 35 or however, however old you are. And it's a known fact that, that using drugs like marijuana before your brain is fully formed can have negative effects on your brain's development. That's, that's just the God's honest truth. Kids under the age, really, they say under the age of 25 should not be messing with marijuana or any substances, alcohol, anything. I mean, we it's legal in this country to smoke weed and drink alcohol when you're 21 and everyone who's 21 parties hard on alcohol. But still at that age, your brain is not fully formed and you can, you're damaging it by drinking. I started drinking when I was 18. I started smoking marijuana when I was 19 um, and, you know. It turned out okay, so I don't I don't think it's a giant concern, but um, it's not ideal. So you got to be honest. You got to be truthful with your kids. And what what you got to tell them is, look, I don't want you to do it. I don't think it's good for you. But if you do in a, end up in a situation where you are doing it, do not get in a car because that's where the real tragedy happens. When you get in a car with your with your buddy and he's drinking or or smoking weed or or whatever, like. Don't get in a car. Don't be that dummy. Every everybody in the country has at least one high school buddy who got in a car drunk 
and is now dead. And and that's the conversation you want to have with them. Look, if you do it, I don't want you to do it. I don't think it's good for you, but I don't want you to hide it from me. And you're not going to get in trouble. It's just not the best thing for you. And if you do do it, I want you to know you can call me and I'll come pick you up. I do want you to know that if you get in a car with somebody who's been drinking or smoking, and I don't care if they say they can drive because that's what everybody says when they're 18 and they've been drinking. I don't care if they say that. If I find out you got in a car with some punk ass kid who's been drinking, then we're going to have a problem. Then we're going to have a problem. So as long as you establish boundaries with your kid and you tell them the whole truth, you're doing the right thing. Now, the other option is you don't want to tell them about it. Give it up. Give it up or make damn sure he never sees you do it. Don't have it in the house. Don't smoke it in the house. Don't go anywhere near the house smelling like it. Do not let yourself be made out to be a liar in front of your kid. I, I tell the story all the time. My, my parents were phenomenal, amazing parents, but they had me young. They had me 24 um, and they, didn't, they weren't very worldly. They didn't have a lot of experience and they were fumbling their way through it. They gave me all the love I needed, all the shelter. Um, they gave me everything, but they lied. They lied about a lot of things because they thought they were protecting me and you know, that, that intention is good. But when I got my ass kicked in fifth grade, because some kid said Santa Claus wasn't real. And I said, the hell he isn't. My daddy's not a liar. And I got in a fight with that kid and got my ass kicked and then got in trouble for fighting in school, defending the honor of Santa Claus. Well, I lost a little trust in, in my parents that day. And that's just the God's honest truth. Um, so be honest. I'm even I'm even honest about the 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 Santa Claus thing because I was traumatized by that. You know, a lot of parents they want to do that because it's fun for the kids and it is and it's fun for them. I wasn't taking chances. The first time my kid asked me about Santa Claus, he was four years old, and I straight up told him, "I'm like Daddy Santa Claus," and it hasn't taken away the fun because every year I dress. I every year the kids wake up, they're all excited and. Um, I make up some excuse. I got to go out of the house, pick up breakfast, pick up bagels, whatever. And then I go in the garage. I dress up like Santa. They know it's fucking me. I come in with a big sack of, of toys and we have a good damn time. And, you know, it's it's fun. They know it's me, but it, it's fun. Then I go back outside. I get dressed as myself again. I come back in and I act all surprised and upset that I miss Santa for the 20th Christmas in a row. All right, guys, I got a, got a frog in my throat. Maybe it's Maybe it's a COVID frog. I don't know what's going on here. But all right, uh, another word from our sponsor, and then we're going to get into it with Matt. Uh, you're going to love this dude. You better love him. He's good people. All right, guys. I got some exciting news. The dad is now not only a 47-year-old professional athlete, but I'm now also a 47-year-old professional underwear model. That's right, guys. We got a new sponsor, sheathunderwear.com. These guys are amazing. Uh, six months of lockdown has paid off as fat party dad has become buff underwear model dad. Um, and look, guys, I know you all know I've gone the first 46 years of my life commando, and that's for a couple reasons. Um, number one, I'm a free spirit. And number two, I've got a lot of beef down there. And, um, you know, underwear, it mashes it all up. It makes it uncomfortable. It makes it sweaty. It's, I just, I've, I've never dug it. But for the last year, I've been wearing sheath. They've solved all those problems. They got two pouches, two pouches in their underwear, one for the peener and one for the baby seed maker. These underwear, they keep everything separate and cozy in their own little pockets, and it just solves all those problems. It's amazing. It's like a little blanket for your balls and another one for the peen. It's amazing. You know what? I mean, like when I was a kid, when I ate, I didn't like when my peas would touch my mashed potatoes, so I'd build like physical barriers between everything on the plate. I didn't like the things to touch. And that's what these underwear do, but before your junk. And I'm telling you, it's just the greatest thing of all time. And the material they're made out of, you know, honestly, I don't know what it is. I probably should educate myself on that, but it's made out of something special. It's, it's probably made by NASA. Um, you can go on the website, sheathunderwear.com and read about it. That's what you should do. All I know is this material keeps everything fresh and cool all day long. It's like, it's like, what's it like? It's like having your little, like personal secretary. No, a, a little personal angel down there all day long, just gently blowing cool air on your balls. You can't beat it. 
These underwear, they're, they're so perfectly comfortable that I even wear them to bed. I've been sleeping naked since I was six years old. I wear these to bed. I mean, they're more comfortable than the sheets. Guys, look, you got to try them. And, and ladies, they make panties for you too. Now, I know you don't need the secret little pockets, but you're going to love the fabric. It's super comfortable. So check them out and get some for your man. Her never suffer from sweaty stink balls ever again. Um, now, look, I don't know. I don't think this is a story I've told on the podcast before, but when the bride got preggers the first time, and before I even knew she was pregnant, in fact, this story is how I found out. I came home from playing volleyball like I did nearly every day, and I took my shorts off, and she literally yelled out, gross, Matt, your balls stink. Yelled that to me. Now, I mean, we all know that pregnant ladies, they get hormonal and moody, but they also develop like superhero sense of smell. And she shouted that out at me and it hurt my feelings and gave me a little bit of a complex for the next nine months, to be quite honest. And, and I took special care of my, my grooming. That's when I started trimming down there and, and uh, taking care of the old boy. But if I had sheath underwear at that time, it wouldn't have been a problem and it would have saved me a lot of heartache. So guys, um, get these underwear. I promise you will absolutely love them. You throw out all your old, ratty, holy, crusty underwear, and you go 100% sheath. So check them out, sheathunderwear.com, best stuff on earth. All right, guys, let's get into it. All right, guys, today we got a special guest. We got another Matt, Matt Finn. He's a reporter for Fox News, and he just so happens to be from my hometown, and now he lives in my new hometown. So we got a lot in common. Matt, thanks for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Excited to talk to you. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't know you growing up. I think we're different in age by maybe like, I don't know, a few years. Um, and uh, when my, my sister kept texting me, telling me to check you out on Tucker, this and that. And um, very, very exciting to see a, a Berwick person out there in the national media. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, how did that happen? How did you get out of tiny little Berwick? Berwick is our small hometown in Pennsylvania. It's a football town. Um, it's a hardworking blue-collar town. How did you make it out of there to become a news person on, on Fox? Well, I'm fortunately, I answer this question a lot, and I say I always knew what I wanted to do. I started taking journalism classes in high school with Mrs. Christian, Teresa Christian. You may recognize that sure. name. Mm -hmm. But uh, I uh, took journalism classes in high school. I went to college for journalism. I did you know, a million journalism internships during college. And then, you know, right after graduation, I uh, started immediately applying for jobs. So I kind of began with the end in mind, and it was always chipping away and contributing to my goal of being a broadcast journalist. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, you did it. So kudos, man. Congratulations. That, it, that I mean, there's only maybe a hundred of you guys, you know, like national reporters. So that's quite an accomplishment. So congratulations. Um, so, so the first thing I wanted to bring up is, as when I asked you to be on the show, you asked for a list of topics, you got to get them approved. You know, that's how it is with, with the national media. And you responded by saying you can't answer things that are political. You can only report news. And that really struck me because First of all, I took journalism classes, and I know that's a rule of journalism, just report the news. But in today's climate, where every jerk has an opinion, here I've stumbled across a reporter with actual integrity. So that, that, that caught me off guard a little bit. No one else has come to me with, with, with that before. So how do you, in today's climate, where everything is so politically charged and everybody has an opinion, how do you keep your integrity and follow that you know, first basic rule of journalism? You know, I could talk about politics. I could talk about, you know, political stories that I've covered and, you know, just uh, topics in general. Sometimes, you know, people are really digging for your opinion right. or digging for you to make, you know, some uh, viral statement, if you will. Yes. You know, and, and every journalist knows not to do that. So I'm happy to talk politics in general, any politics that I've covered. But, you know, it's it's real simple. For me, it's just keep your opinion out of it in your own reporting, uh, in interviews like this. You know, people should not be able to decipher uh, which way you lean. And I think that we have a ton of journalists at Fox News that, you know, very strongly abide by those ethics. And it shows in their reporting. It shows in their online presence. You know, and then in general, there are journalists in the industry, I think, that, are, you know, when they're on the air, when they're on social media, they are giving their opinion. They are indicating Absolutely. how they feel about certain things. And 
I, you know, that doesn't make me too happy as a journalist. And I think, unfortunately, there's this gray area now where you're watching TV and you're like, is this person a commentator? Is this person, you know, um, a journalist? Is this person a host? What are they? You know, yeah. so I always just try to let me, you know, stick by the fact that I'm a, I'm an unbiased journalist. Yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 I forget the Burke High School newspaper, whatever it was. I, I was the editor, um, you know, a hundred years ago. I took some journalism mm-hmm. in college. And I remember those rules, like keep your opinions out of it. And I, I completely mm-hmm. forgot that was a rule because you hear a lot of opinions out there when you're, when you're watching the news, when you're reading the New York Times, when you're, people are injecting their opinion all over the place, especially right now in an election season. So I found that very refreshing. Um, so you're out on the streets, um, you know, doing, doing reports, sometimes in dangerous climates. Um, and we've seen reports with guys like Andy No and Brandon Straka being, being like physically attacked. And I'm wondering if you've ever had any encounter like that where you felt personally threatened. Oh, for sure. And it's been going on for years now. My, my first experience um, was, well, not my first one, but the first notable one was up in Minneapolis a couple of years ago. We were covering protests. You know, I being a, an eager journalist wanted to get into the thick of the protest, as many journalists do. And, you know, I kind of got surrounded, you know, people saying, what are you doing here? Um, you know, threatening me. And uh, it was one of the first times I was like, well, I'm probably about to get punched in the face, you know, and yeah. here we go. So, and I was just waiting for it, waiting for it. And it, it didn't happen. And I was kind of able to escape. I, you know, kept to myself. I obviously didn't respond. And uh, it just so happens, of course, everyone has a cell phone nowadays. I woke up the next day to all these text messages on my phone. Are you okay? What happened? Blah, blah, oh, blah. Wow. So of course, someone you know recorded it on their phone. Uh, it went viral, millions of views. Uh, then Bill O'Reilly aired the video and kind of you know, presented it as, are these people peaceful protesters or is this, you know, what they typically do? So that was one of my first experiences. Uh, and then, you know, up, uh, actually up in Minneapolis again, about one year ago this month, uh, there was a president Trump rally and, um, there was just a very large presence of some very aggravated protesters, whatever you want to call them. And I, once again, as a reporter, sometimes you can't help, but just get into the crowd, you know, and I got surrounded again and, so I fortunately have never been physically attacked, but I, you know, reporters all across the country from the smallest market all the way up to the network are constantly put in situations where you kind of just have to take a deep breath, you know, and hope that you, you make it out. Okay. Uh, in Minneapolis, most recently I covered the George Floyd, um, you know, aftermath, I was right. there for about three weeks and that was really intense. You know, I mean, there was a journalist, a freelance a woman who had her eye shot out, you know, we were seeing a lot of people get hit with um, pepper bombs and stuff like that. So that, that was probably one of the, the most intense situations I've seen in a while. Man. I mean, do you have security in those situations? Yeah. So we, uh, yeah. We have, yeah. I've had a minimum of, um, you know, basically two bodyguards, two security. Uh, and Are they, they armed? They, um, you know, that's a great question. I don't, always know i sometimes like, <laughs> i would want to know that if i'm going it's true i, I kind of don't know. ask sometimes yeah. you know um but they're all like the majority of them are you know um were, were in the military or currently you know are serving and so they have a lot of great training they have a really good eye you know they notice things that we don't as far as like crowd movement and stuff and kind of like you know some bad characters around us so and uh, actually, when I I just covered uh, Brianna Taylor, um, the, the case, yeah, the, uh, the ruling for the grand jury, and uh, saw you down there. Yeah. Once again, I was I was down there, and there was a group. So there was a group, you know, that came up to us. They had like kind of say they had some they had some like billy clubs or like some wooden you know sticks and stuff. And who are you? Who are you? And you know, I said straight up, I'm Fox News. I'm allowed to be here. You know, I was on public property. You're not going to intimidate me. And they kind of surrounded me, my crew again, they grabbed my cameraman's camera. And so, you know, we just used common sense and got out of there. But our security definitely stepped in at that point. I had they not been there at that time, I kind of might have been a little more concerned. Yeah, that that's another thing I was wondering. Um, you know, in the present climate, uh, some conservative media and, and some of these protests probably is not, I, I shouldn't even say conservative media, just but Fox is as viewed as being conservative. They're probably not favorably looked upon in these protests. Do you guys go out there with like, does it, do you, do you have information that says you're Fox news or are you just a reporter in general? You know, I think a lot of the networks now don't like openly advertise who they're with, you know, because media in general is targeted. Um, Every once in a while, we'll have a, like a mic flag, but in general, you know, I just have a classic, you know, black microphone and, um, and a lot of times, you know, who are you with? I'll say, you know, I'm with the national news 
And then they really want to know who you're with. And sometimes, you know, I'll just say, hey, I'm with Fox News. You know what I mean? And I'm allowed to be here. I'm a journalist. And you kind of just wait and see how that turns out, you know? So I don't think, I think most networks now are not openly advertising, you know, a lot of logos, a lot of like branding, but um, it's case by case. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it, uh, it's crazy that, that it, which network matters to people at this oh, point. Yeah. That's how, that's how divided we've become. Um, out on the streets there. I mean, have you, so you've been doing it for a while. Have you noticed the division in, between Americans growing and, how how do we how do we like get back to normal? How do we fix that? Sadly, yes. I mean, it's it's worse than ever. Uh, I think on the streets, in coffee shops, everywhere, you know. And yeah. look, I don't. Who am I? I don't have the answers. I think, unfortunately, you know, especially in these protest situations, there's a lot of people fueling the flames with misinformation, with conventional wisdom, with hashtag heroism. Yeah, you know, and and I think that. You know, if you have a, a, if you sit down and have an intelligent conversation with a person that you disagree with, or you might have different philosophies, you, there might be more common ground from each other. But I think now, you know, there's, there's all this organization online, there's, you know, you, you know, and some of them have very extreme agendas. We see those groups show up to protest. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times, many times the protests I'm covering are hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people, you know, protesting, marching, you know, exercising their freedom of speech, doing what you can do in America, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, the sun goes down and bad actors show up. People kind of hijack, you know, the situation. I, one, my one producer said, you know, you'll see, you know, people show up, organized groups show up and literally use protesters as like human body armor. You know what I mean? They yeah. kind of weasel their way in and really? out. And, and I talked to... That's so sinister. Yeah, it is. And we talk to business owners over and over again, you know, who say like, you know, for hours and hours and hours, there are demonstrations outside my business. And then all of a sudden the sun went down and boom, you know, my business is on fire. You know, I watch people do this. I watch people show up and do it, you know? So it it sounds like, I mean, most of these rioters really aren't the people protesting like that. It sounds like there's a separation there from what I'm gathering from you. So why can't everyone come out and condone the violence, like it sounds like these are, are people just taking advantage of a situation when you put it like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, and when I'm on the air, you know, we'll get tweets, we'll get, why are you calling these people rioters or why are you calling them protesters? They're all criminals. So what, my most common experience, you know, it happened again uh, recently in Minneapolis. Fortunately in Louisville, well, actually two officers were shot in Louisville after the uh, Breonna Taylor announcement, but so that was not peaceful by any means. But yeah, so what happens is, you know, there's, there's you know, hundreds, if not thousands of protesters that show up, demonstrators that show up, you know, various groups. And yeah, you know, they march around, you know, they, they're, they perhaps serve the peace, if you will, but in general, they're just exercising their freedom of speech. And then the sun goes down and there's organized groups that show up that, like you said, are very sinister. And I, I think it's hard a, a lot of times for police to initially differentiate between who's who, you know, and then now there's this thing where police are darned if they do darned if they don't you see yep. now i've seen them personally witness them stand back they don't engage they did that. they were ordered in minneapolis not to i think the 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 uh, police chief told me there to you know he told me specifically that you know the final order was sanctity of life you know because they're outnumbered the officers are outnumbered you know they had the, the city of minneapolis and the police department literally had to give up a police precinct right yeah. i mean they had to hand it over to these mobs because it was just too dangerous you know they're there might end up being shootouts and that's all we need now is more shootings. Right. And crazy. So, so I mean, so, sanctity, yeah, sanctity of life, that can mean a lot of things. Like what about the sanctity of, of life having their property burned down, you know? Well, yeah, no, I mean, ultimately it was, you know, and the, the police department of Minneapolis admitted, I mean, we are outnumbered. We, we cannot combat these mobs, you know what I mean? And there's no way. And so, you, you know, you go back to Minneapolis right after George Floyd. I mean, they, that city literally gave up an entire precinct. So you, that's a pretty monumental, yeah. um, in the United States of America to say, fine, have it, <laughs> you know, right now, of course, you know, they did it for, I believe the right reasons saying, Hey, I, I'd rather all my guys out there alive, get out of that place alive and let the, you know, brick and mortar burn. Sure. But all that is to say is, you know, police are outnumbered. There's no way that they can really, you know, make mass arrests. Uh, and if they try to, then they're, you know, accused of, you know, all types of different things, racism, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's very unfortunate tough. situation. It's tough, but but what you also did there is establish a precedent, right? Like right. a precedent was established that these protesters or these rioters can come in and take a police station. Um, and then we started seeing that all over the country. So, 
it's a it's definitely a tough call but wow i mean that that was that was scary i think for everybody to see um there's been a lot of division and, and part of it is it's like I don't know when this started or why, but people have started to treat their political teams like their football teams, the way they, they just blindly cheer for their team. Um, and I'm wondering, now, this might be a, a tough question for a journalist, but is the media to be held at all for, for the division? Are, are, is the media at all responsible for the division we see in the country right now? You know, I think that if there are, you know... I think over the past couple of years, there are several, you know, examples where certain organizations had to retract information, certain journalists had to retract information. And, you know, when things right now are, like you said, being treated like a football team or, or people are so dedicated to a certain narrative. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I think media more than ever should be held responsible. And that includes Fox News, that includes CNN, that includes all of us. You know, so yeah, I do think that if you have black and white examples of misinformation being reported as truth, then yeah, there. I'm not saying that the media is responsible for the division, but you know, I, I do think the media does it does hold some responsibility. Sure, I mean, we we should be holding ourselves to the same standards we always have, and you know, I I think that in this era, that's more important than ever. Yeah, and. You know, we have we have stations like Fox and CNN where you have journalists, but you also have people coming on and doing opinion pieces, and they're yeah. kind of stoking those those people are kind of stoking the division because they are cheerleading aside. Uh, wh- what if stations were required to say this is an opinion show, this is this is journalism, like separate the two? Is that would that help? And is that even? I mean, that would benefit guys like you if it it was clearly identified. Matt Finn is a journalist, right? Sean Hannity, he's an opinion guy. Yeah, well, so, and the other thing that happens to us as well is, you know, um, as a correspondent, you know, I'm on Tucker Carlson a lot, or I was on Hannity recently, you know, and so I... Unfortunately, I think that it's, it's in the hands of the viewer to maybe just do a little background, a simple Google to see, to, to determine who, what you're listening to, who this person is. You know, um, I think a national correspondent Don't ask is the American for, people to do work. Come I on. know. Well, and I know, and I wish it was more black and white. You know, <laughs> yeah. I really do. And because you open up the paper and there's the headlines and then there's the commentary, right? Or there's the yeah. op-ed. So yep. I, I do wish it was more black and white. And I think a lot of my fellow reporters probably feel the same way. And then, you know, what happens is, you know, we as correspondents with the network will go on, you know, opinion, opinion shows as we should, you know, and then it's all of a sudden like, oh, well, you're on this show. So you must think that, you know, and the most common thing I get is where well, you're Fox News, you must be a Republican. It's like, you don't you don't know my political beliefs. You, you know, you don't know where I stand, right. you know? And one thing I fortunately, I, I really do believe like our news division within Fox news, it, it truly is a, um, a classic ethical newsroom, you know? And many of my, I, I look at so much of the work by my correspondents. I'm so proud of it. And our anchors, you know, I'm, I'm just so proud of our news division, but of course, you know, we kind of get blended into the, the Bill O'Reilly network, right? The Sean Hannity network. And I understand that. So I do kind of wish it was more black and white. I don't know what the answer is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a confusing one. And, you know, specifically Fox, Fox News, people often make fun of the tagline, uh, fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. Um, including me, I have in the past. I, I don't necessarily think Fox is balanced. Although in the last couple of years, they, I, I would say they've definitely been more fair and balanced than the other cable news networks. Um, but in general, the, the actual news, like guys like you, it is fair and balanced. You're just reporting the news. And, and sometimes on other networks, I, I see that not actually happening. I'm just wondering, the news has always been a little bit polarized. But 20 years ago, it was not like this. Like CNN 20 years ago seemed like a fair and balanced network. What, what led to that in the media? Um, well, first of all, let me just say, you know, I worked for... NBC in, in Wilkes-Barre's Granton near our hometown, WBRE. I also worked for a CBS station uh, out in the state of Washington. And, you know, the 
the same, you know, code and conduct and practices I did as a journalism journalist for ABC and NBC affiliates, you know, and for all my, you know, um, I also interned at NBC 10 affiliate. I do the same exact thing for Fox. I present both sides. I, I like doing investigative journalism. So I always tell people personally, me, when you watch me, you're seeing the same amount that you would have seen or will could see on, you know, any other place, you know, be published anywhere because I, as a journalist abide by that. Um, I do think, hmm. You know, I mean, it, the, America is so divided right now. Everything's so polarized. You're pro-Trump or you're not, right? You're pro-Biden or you're not. You're, you're liberal, you're not. You're Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, all these yeah. camps. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bash in. and I'm not going to, you know, critique them but or, or any other network. But I do think that, uh, you know, one thing I'll say about Fox is, at least within our news division, all the time, like if you look at our panels, you know, we have people like Donna Brazil, you know, the former sure. chairwoman of the Democratic Party. She's she's one of our contributors on constantly. Yeah. You know, we think about this, the, 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 um, the commission for presidential debates. Who's the first person they chose to be the uh, moderator? Our Chris Wallace. Right. You know, and, and I, think, I don't you know, think but, anybody could have watched that debate and, and thought he favored Trump. Like right, most people could think the, the opposite. Yeah. So and, and but you can't. You know, and so I think that our news division really does a fine job of presenting both sides. I really do. You know, we have outstanding, outstanding journalists morning, noon, and night on all the time. And what happens is, yes, Fox does present the other side. We do present, we present both sides. And because we might present what people think is the conservative side, the Republican side, that all of a sudden that's who we are, because maybe you don't see that many other places. No, you don't see it anywhere else, actually. So it's like, you know, and I, and so we get typecast as this, typecast as that. But I, I believe, you know, waking up at night and going to bed at night as a journalist that I am doing, you know, just a, a clean job as an unbiased journalist. And I see a lot of my anchors and correspondents doing the same. So, you know, I, I understand. I understand why we get typecast as a certain brand. But so, yeah, well, you, you said it right there. You, you don't see some of those point of views anywhere else. Like the left, the left owns Hollywood. They, they own the majority of the media. Um, they, they own the narrative. So Fox is really kind of out there on an island. So whereas 20 years ago, I, I might have said Fox is a big problem. Right now, I, I think we, we need them. Otherwise, we're just getting one narrative. So we need Fox. Like we need Fox out there putting out uh, an opinion that that isn't the same as everybody else. So I wanted I wanted to switch gears just a little bit. Um, you know, so I I do a podcast and I have a Facebook page. We have close to a hundred thousand followers. I've been able to build that into a little bit of a, a an income stream, um, and I'm excited about that. It's growing, and I'm going to make uh, making more money every month. We added a new sponsor this week. Uh, shout out Sheath Underwear. Um, I'm worried about the power of these tech companies. Um, just, just like you only get one narrative on a lot of the media, the, the tech companies are almost monolithic. Um, there's no diversity in their, their points of view allowed. Facebook recently took away my ability to advertise. And I, I, I'm not a conservative. Um, I wouldn't call myself a liberal. I'm, I'm, I'm neither. Like I, I, I think for myself, I come up with my own ideas. Sometimes they fall on the liberal line, sometimes on the conservative line. Some of my narrative on coronavirus and some of my light, my narrative on Black Lives Matter hasn't fit within the narrow boundaries of what they find to be acceptable, and they've taken away my ability to run ads. Um, Google and Facebook arguably have more power to control popular opinion and politics than anyone in the world. I mean, their, their power is immeasurable right now. And other than Tucker Carlson, I've not heard anyone talking about the danger of these companies? Why is the media afraid to talk about the dangers of these tech companies? You know, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, one of my friends, Hillary Vaughn, she's, she was a correspondent out in Los Angeles. Now she's in DC and she's uh, constantly doing um, a lot of stories on Facebook. I see, you know, her emails coming through our, our folders and stuff. And so uh, um, I, I do know that we at least cover it. We are, you know, we are monitoring it. And Tucker Carlson, obviously, almost nightly, you know, does type of some type of segment on Google, on Facebook, mm -hmm. and such. I just watched also that Social Dilemma documentary. Yep. And I mean, you can't argue with the fact that you, you know, you are giving these companies perhaps more information than you do your own spouse or mother or father. No right? Doubt. They've got it all, and it's uh, alarming to hear that you are not being allowed to advertise. So, you know, I am not too up to speed on that, but it is very much concerning. And I myself, you know, I'm like, 
gosh, do I need to kind of cut back on at least Facebook and stuff? Um, but I'm happy that Tucker Carlson at least seems to be at the forefront. Oh, thank God he is. Thank night. God he is. Yeah. Like, I, I literally, I hear nobody talking about it in the media. And when I bring it up to, to friends, they, they, it's like I'm talking about aliens. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's very little out there. And, and if you look at who they're banning, like a lot of people have been getting banning, but they're only banning people on one side of the political spectrum, which is just, that's not healthy for America. I feel like free speech is under attack. It started with cancel culture. Um, and then with these groups who are forcing like businesses to teach critical race theory, um, nothing is more important you're the journalist, but I would say as a journalist, nothing is more important to a journalist than free speech. Do you worry at all about free speech being under attack? Well, you know, I, um, on social media, absolutely. I mean, they freely admit they're monitoring and silencing certain parties, right? And, you know, I've, I'm not going to say names, but, you know, I, one or two people that I saw recently that were, you know, silenced or had their accounts temporarily suspended. You're like, what? You right. know, you read their tweets and you're like, Yes, it's a highly opinionated tweet, but I don't think it falls under any car- you know, any category that warrants being silenced. Right. So yeah, you know, absolutely. And um and you know, actually so and the other thing too is, you know, there's always two sides. And I always look at both and I'm not entirely sure which okay, I think it was up in Portland. I was up in Portland covering a lot of the unrest there or the outright criminal activity there. And um there was a group that was that Facebook had had deleted. I think it was is it the Proud Boys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But so I, I believe that you know, don't quote me on this, but I believe when I was up there, it was that group that had been that Facebook determined was a part of like a militia group, and they had you know um, removed their privilege to to have an account, and um, and so I you know I contacted Facebook and you know said hey you know this this the group has been silenced. Well, what about you know these Antifa groups that we know are also are, are dangerous? I mean, you, you see some of their motto is stay dangerous you know right. um and right. we see we see the very organized nightly attacks in portland but i was there you know the mayor he had the, the the base of his condo building set on fire he had to move when i when i was up there he had to send an mm-hmm. email out to his neighbor saying i have to move because i can't you guys are in so much danger so yeah. it's not a conspiracy that antifa is organized and dangerous you know and we know that there's also white supremacy we know that there's and what what was facebook's book. response what did they say so that? and i have to say was and you know, so I said, Hey, you know, are you guys, it was a quick email, you know, Hey, are you guys also removing Antifa groups? And you know what? They said, yes, they, they had, you know, they had sent me back an email saying that they had removed dozens of groups that kind of identified as Antifa, you know, because I, I, when I looked and this was brief, you know, I didn't do like a thorough investigation, but you know, when I, when I was searching Antifa groups, it was kind of hard to find. It wasn't there like, you know, this United Antifa organization with 50 million followers, you know, a lot of it was kind of like that underground stuff, which is how they operate. I think largely, so, you know, the, in fairness to them, okay, let's just say, you know, you want to identify Proud Boys as a militia. Okay, you know, that, that's fine. Who, but, you know, at least they were also trying to remove some of the Antifa groups. However, I mean, I mean and I, again, I am not, you know, entirely educated on this topic whatsoever. There's people who could probably speak, who can't speak much more about it. But it is alarming. It absolutely is alarming. I mean, it has to be. How can it not be? We are giving our lives to these organizations, you know? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Personally, I've I've had posts taken down that weren't even interjecting opinion. I, right. I, I, right. Cop, I would copy and paste statistics from the CDC. Post was taken down. I, I ran an interview, Tucker did, with that uh, Chinese virologist about yes. um, coronavirus. Yeah. They took that down. Or I'm sorry, they put yeah. a, a warning label on it. Um, that's alarming to me. Like they, they labeled it as uh, unfactual or something. I'm like, how can an interview be unfactual? It's, it's an interview. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, with a doctor who's working on this disease, like that seems like pretty, pretty, um, important information. Um, so you, you, you brought up, you brought up, uh, what are they? The proud boys. So mm-hmm. we, we heard them talk about in the debate. Um, and it made me kind of chuckle a little bit because I, I don't know much about them to be honest, but I know they were started just a few years ago by Gavin McGinnis as, as like a joke. They were like a joke group and now they're being called, a white power group and a militia and we're being told that white power is the, the biggest danger in America. Um, I've lived in 22 states and I've never personally known anyone who was in a white power group unless they just didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> you're, you're out there on the streets. In your estimation, how real of a threat is our white 
power groups? Is this the biggest threat we're, we're facing today? Like we're being told, you know, this is, this is a tricky question, right? Cause, but, um, what I will say when I was up in Portland, I was there for about a week recently and there was a group of white people that were a part of, you know, um, an organization, kind of like a more of a local community one. And they, you know, were um, pro all types of freedom, right? Religious, guns, freedom of speech, all that. And they obviously um, were basically the opposite of Antifa. And they, uh, they told me that there are some people, there are members of the Proud Boys that really operate as a gang. You know, that they, some of them are, you know, perhaps dangerous or, or reckless. Uh, but in general, you know, the majority of people that were, you know, white and trying to counter the Antifa movement, in my opinion, were constantly telling me, like, We'd, we are urging all of our members not to uh, participate in any type of violence. Because, you know, what happened in Portland was there was that, that young white man who was shot and killed. Right. And, and so in the following days, I was talking to, you know, some, some ranking members of other organizations and they were like saying, we are telling everyone not to participate in violence, not to retaliate because that's only going to ruin our message and it's only mm-hmm. going to cause more violence. You know, and so then yeah, I said, violence well, begets know, violence. Right. Yeah. And we're like, you know, so then, and then somebody even told me like, you know, we have nothing to do with the Proud Boys. So, you know, these, these large movements were, um, were very peaceful, you know? Um, now, of course they might have right, you know, license to carry, they might have guns, but that doesn't make them violent, you know? Now I, I can't speak for whole as how, how big of a threat white uh, supremacy is to this country. I would say, you know, the majority of sticky situations I've gotten into where my, you know, my security guards had to step in. I don't think any of those people would identify as white supremacists. That's for sure. You know, there's, but again, of course I'm a, I'm a white boy, I'm a reporter. So I don't know that a white supremacist would ever want to harm me, but you know, the majority of people that I've seen are, are not white supremacists. Yeah. I, I just, I just, you know, I, I don't want to say it's not out there and I know there's, there's sure. cases out there and I'm sure the KKK still exists, but it's being, it's being portrayed in the media. Like this is the biggest threat we face today. And, and I would just like to, to understand exactly where that's coming from. Like are people, I've, you know, 30, 30, 40 people have died in these riots. How many of them were at the hands of, of white power people? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could even, you could even label, um, Antifa white power. Most of those assholes are, are white guys, right? So could, could we call them white power? I, I, it gets very confusing. Um, now, the, getting back to the division in the country, the, I mean, there's no denying that Donald Trump has definitely fueled the flames of the division somewhat by the way he tweets, somewhat just by his personalities. Somewhat, some people are just so... Some people's entire political ideology is... Trump is awesome or Trump is the worst. And that's not really a political ideology. That's more of like a codependency. Um, But for the last three years, we've heard nothing on some of the news channels other than Trump was a Russian agent. Um, We're starting to learn now that that was just completely fabricated. I don't want to get into all that. But why do you think such a large percentage of the media hates this guy with such passion, like more so than any other political figure before? You know, I don't know. I can't speak for other members of the media, whether they do or don't hate him. Um, well, they definitely do. You know, and, you know, I, I saw someone, you know, on, on Twitter recently defend a lot of the Russian reporting and the Russian, you know, collusion reporting and saying, well, hey, these are journalists just doing their job. They were curious about these theories being floated around, you know, so sure. Um, why not? I mean, yeah, I mean, they had every right to investigate it, but you know, if you feel like they were mixing in personal hate with it, then not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it just, it all objectivity regarding this guy on both sides really seems to have just gone away. Like it's just been, it's just created such a completely polarizing environment. My theory is I, I, this is just my theory. I feel like the establishment Democrats and Republicans hate the guy because he's not one of them and they, they can't really count on him to, to fight their wars and back their genocides. And, and if I just look at the last 20 years, now you probably can't comment on any of this, but if I just look at the, the past 20 years, 
every anti-war candidate that has come up and done some damage has been destroyed by the media. Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Dennis Kucinich, Bernie Sanders. I, the media was starting to call Bernie Sanders supporters Nazis when it looked like he was going to win. Um, and as much as they hate Trump, I think they would have accepted him over Bernie because Bernie was a threat to hit, hit the elites in their pocketbooks. Um, and, I, and I feel like um, the part of the reason the media and Hollywood has so glommed on to identity politics is it gives them a way to throw a bone to the left without ever actually giving them anything substantial. Um, we're still in, I don't know, five, six, seven wars. There's a genocide going on in Yemen that, that started over, under Obama, still going on today. I see nothing about these wars on any news channel, really. Um, does Fox even have a foreign war correspondent anymore? And why do we not see more about the wars in the media? Well, we do. We have correspondents in Jerusalem. Trey Yinks is, is outstanding, and he really gets into the thick of things. I mean, you'll see him sometimes out, you know, in... Uh, in very dangerous situations. And we do have, you know, other correspondents overseas. Um, you know, I can't speak to why, what we are or aren't covering overseas. Uh, it seems like, you, as you know, every day there's so much going on here in America, you know, so much, um, so many critical events. Um, I don't know. Um, that, that's a good question. Is that something you'd ever want to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually. And it, it's been brought up before. Um, I certainly would. Um, you know, and the other thing too is, and I'm not speaking Fox, like it has become more dangerous overseas for journalists now more than ever. You know, a lot of the rules, yeah. Like a lot of the rules of press being protected is, is seemingly kind of gone out the window. Um, you know, we saw all those beheadings right. uh, in recent years and stuff. And uh, even, so I don't know if that plays into it or not, but it, um, but yeah, I, I definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems exciting to me, but let me, do you, do you have a family? No, no, I have, a. am back home in Pennsylvania. Uh, I have a lot of, I'm one of four, you know, brothers and sisters, a lot of cousins, aunts and uncles and stuff. So, but no, I am not married. Don't have a family. Okay. Yeah. Cause I can't, I can't imagine being married and doing that foreign correspondent stuff. That would, that would be really tough. Um, so yeah. you're out on the streets. Um, we're about to head into an election. Tensions are high. Um, what do you, I mean, looking at the next few months, it's, it feels like I'm not talking about who's going to win, but just talking about what's going to happen in America and how people are going to react. It feels like anything is on the table right now from, from civil war till we all kiss and make up. Like what's your vibe on the street? What do you think we can, we're going to see over the next few months? Well, it's interesting because I covered so many uh, President Trump rallies in 2016 when he was a candidate. I, I traveled the country covering uh, his rallies, and I did a lot of the outdoor stuff, which is where you get to see, you know, the protesters, the demonstrations, some of the, you know, heated uh, confrontations. And, um, you know, I think back then everyone was saying, oh, you know, President Trump isn't going to accept the results of the election, etc. And you know what? He was elected. He was inaugurated. And yes, there was a lot of polarization and divisiveness, but otherwise, you know, I think their country remained intact, right? Yeah. But to your point, uh, it, it remained intact. If, if you may disagree with that, but um, it remained so, intact. But it, but it was a people were outraged then, but it was oh, not yes. the kind of environment we have, like we've had in the last six months. Yeah, and I, you know, I keep saying, like me and my crew, like anything can happen. You know, I mean, and there's all this focus. I, I think that election night itself could potentially you know, uh, be extremely dramatic. There could be all types of, you know, problems, you know, because now we have, there's so much focus on the mail-in ballots and we've already seen a couple, perhaps smaller examples of, you know, some ballots being thrown away and this and that. One right there where you are in Luzerne County. Yes, in Wilkesbury, right? So, which they said was unintentional, but uh, I think, so I don't know, who am I to say what's going to happen, but I'm bracing, I think we all are for all different various types of, you know, events. And I, I don't, one thing is for sure, I don't know it's going to be a clean election night. I don't think we're going to wake up the next morning and perhaps have an elected president. Maybe not. Yeah. You know, there probably will be some 0% chance of that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, um, you know, I obviously pray against any type of, you know, violence or extremism, but in general, I kind of feel like it's going to happen. What happened in 2016 that whoever is elected the opposite. I mean, my, okay. So after president Trump was elected, we had all those marches, 
you know, millions of people, the females, the pink hats, you know, I tended one or two of them, you know, th- there was that unrest, there was that, you know, that outrage, but in general, things kind of, you know, proceeded. So I'm, I don't know, I think that's a possibility this time around, you know, and look, at oh, if, I if, hope it's so. a, if, if it's a landslide one way or another, because the polls in 2016, a lot of them were, were pretty uh, inaccurate, right? I mean, a lot yeah. of everyone's bracing for Hillary Clinton victory. So I don't know, you know, um, yeah. a landslide. I mean, if we're just talking about unifying America, a landslide is probably our best bet at that. If it, if it's another thing where, where Trump wins the pot or the, the, where, um, Biden wins the popular vote, but Trump wins overall, that's going to, I just see that as being a problem. Um, both sides are gearing up and hiring a ton of lawyers that, that looks like trouble to me. I'm nervous about it. When you're out there on the streets on election night, just just check with your bodyguards and make sure they're they're armed like well I, you know I definitely want to know that <laughs> you know fair question a lot of yeah um and i'll tell you what Matt, as you know he, i'm here uh, in luzerne county which is largely credited with uh you know providing president trump the victory in pennsylvania and then obviously handing him the critical swing state of pennsylvania there are i drove from you know wilkesbury to stroudsburg to the pittston area wilkesbury scranton there are so many Trump signs in yards around here, you know, so it, it is going to be fascinating to see how this critical state of Pennsylvania turns out in just a few weeks, you know, and we know that, you know, the, the Clinton uh, campaign lost the critical states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota. So I think that that did provide, you know, Democrats and the Biden campaign a little more strategy this time around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So well, we'll Biden, Biden is from Scranton. I mean, he's from yes. that, that stronghold yeah. that Trump had in Pennsylvania. So if, if Trump wins Pennsylvania this time, I, th- I think that's pretty conclusive about who America wants. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Um, but Matt, look, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been really cool talking to you. Um, I, I'm proud of you. I mean, anytime you hear about a, a Burrick boy getting out and doing something special, that's... <laughs> That's that's great to hear. I mean, we we got Ron Paulus and now we got Matt Finn. So well done. Um, is there is there anywhere people can check you out other than just looking for you on Fox News? Yeah, I mean Twitter. It's Matt Finn FNC. I'm prob- I'm pretty active on there. All right, all right, people. Matt Finn FNC. Okay, Matt. Thanks so much. Keep up the good work and uh, way to stay objective. We appreciate you. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you. Now, I just want to remind you that uh, this podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, CBDMD.com. It's a fantastic product. I I will not do ads for products that I don't use and that I don't like. Like I've told you guys before, I'm not not doing this podcast or this Facebook page to make money. I do it because I enjoy it. But, you know, if someone's going to throw money at me, um, I'll take it. If it's something I believe in and something that I use, and I do use this product, it's fantastic on inflammation. As you all know, I've had my spine fused. I've had my shoulder worked on twice, um, two, two surgeries on my shoulder. I've had my left wrist fused, which makes masturbation incredibly hard and painful, so almost not worth it, but, but still worth it. Um, and CBD gets me through all my pains. Um, it's why I'm still able to be 47 and still be this fine, sexy freak that you, that you guys see and know and love. Um, it's from exercise, diet, and CBD oil. So check it out. Use the code that Dad presents. You get 15% off, and you put a little more change in my pocket than what they're paying me to do this ad. All right, guys. Much love. <laughs>